Well, before I launch into my message, I just want to give it up for the band that has been singing five times all day long. Can we clap for them? They probably won't have vocal cords tomorrow, and half of their fingers will have melted off from playing on strings all day long. But we are so, so, so grateful for them. We're so glad that you're here. I love Easter because the meaning of what we celebrate today changes everything for us. Because of an empty tomb, we can have hope, we can have peace, we can have joy that supersedes our circumstances. This is the most beautiful message in all of the world that we get to proclaim today, that Jesus has conquered the grave. Not only was he crucified, but he has risen victoriously. He's conquered death, and the chains could not hold him down. And today, we are so glad that you're here. And the other thing I love about Easter is it's the Sunday... That, the, that people who never go to church come to church. And it's the Sunday where everybody who typically goes to church comes to church. So most of the services have been just completely packed out today. It's been an awesome experience. And let me say it like this. My wife Stacy and I, we were away on a marriage getaway about a year ago at this time. It was for celebrating our anniversary. We're coming up on nine years and a month from now, and we decided for the first time we'd go to a bed and breakfast. How many of you guys have ever been to a bed and breakfast before? You know what that experience is like. Now, we always would go to a hotel where, as a married couple, you can go up to your hotel room, go to sleep, as married people go to sleep, and then the next morning you come down and you don't have to sit at the breakfast table with somebody whose bed shared a wall with your bed, if you know what I'm saying. So we're at this bed and breakfast, and this next morning we sit down at the breakfast table, with two ladies who inform us very quickly that they're sisters so that there's no misconception on our part. And we're sitting there, and the lady asks me, she says specifically, well, what do you do for a living? Which, that can cause the conversation to go one or two directions. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And oftentimes when I say that, I might as well say I am a fundraiser for a religious cult. Would you like to have a conversation with me? And so the conversation actually continues, and she wants to tell me all about her background spiritually, and she says to me, she says, I just want to make sure that you know, when I was growing up, I would go to church two times a year. I bet you guys could guess what those two times a year would be. Christmas and Easter. And she said, one time I was there on an Easter Sunday, and the pastor stood up, and he just started blasting everybody who only came to church two times a year. And he said, you need to feel guilty. You need to start coming to church every single week. And she said, I just felt so guilty inside that I just decided I would never go back to church again for the rest of my life, and I haven't been since. And that had been 25, 30 years earlier. And I said to her the same thing I want to say to you. Two times a year is better than no times a year. Amen? Two times a year is better than no times a year. And I'm still trying to get somebody to say that to me about going to the gym. <laughs> All joking aside, today we start a message series uh, that I believe is so essential for us who are at all different walks of life. We're going to wrestle through some of the most difficult questions. Stuff like, where is God when I'm lonely? Where is God when I have fears? Where is God when I mess up and I blow it? And all this past, this junk in my past, how do I deal with all of that? And tonight we're going to wrestle with a, a very significant question. A question that humanity has really been addressing and dealing with for many, many, many years. And the question is, where is God when I have doubts? Where is God when I struggle with doubt? And what I've learned from my own journey and conversing with a lot of people who are at various different walks spiritually, from different religious backgrounds to atheists to committed followers of Christ, that it seems like there are almost these two categories of doubt 
when we have questions about God. And the first category, if you're taking notes, is this. It's questions that pertain to the greatness of God. Like, if he really is God, if there really is a God, could he create this whole thing in six days? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, and don't Christians believe that God created the universe with a spoken word in, in six days? And what about evolution? And wasn't my great-great-great-grandfather a monkey? And how could Adam and Eve be a monkey? And all of this happened simultaneously? And what about all those stars out there in the, the galaxies? And weren't there these aliens that landed in Minnesota? And all these questions about God's greatness, his capacity, and his power. Now, the other category, which I believe is much more prevalent for, for most of us, are questions that pertain to the goodness of God. It gets a little bit more personal when we get into this category. I mean, some of you who've lost a child, what, what about the moment when that child was on their deathbed? Or those of you who've been trying for years to get pregnant, what about those years where you longed for and hoped for and expected and month after month after month you were disappointed? What about that time where your mom or your dad or your friend got cancer and they were on their deathbed? All of these questions that keep coming up, maybe for some of you who are single in the room, what about the fact that I'm still single and I've been trying to find a date for years aside from the fact that you don't shower, what is it? Like, why is God allowing you to go through this? And even questions like, how could there, right now in this moment, how could a loving God allow 27 million people to be in bondage to slavery? Or children in Africa that can't get access to clean water and die of diseases before they're five. Maybe I'm even bringing up questions that you didn't have before and you're like, man, you're just jacking with me and messing me up, making me even worse than before I came to church. Welcome to South Bay. We're really glad that you're here. <laughs> but these questions we wrestle with. And I just want to say to you, you're... You're just like the rest of us. We all have doubts. All of us struggle with doubt from time to time. And today, I want to give you a foundation to stand on in the midst of your doubt. I'm not going to give you a pat answer that will speak into your situation and somehow tie it up into a pretty little bow. I want to give you security, not this false, false amount of security that you think it's all worked out, but in reality, the struggle, the trial, the doubt is still just as prevalent as ever before. Sometimes pastors are typical or known for giving false sense of security. In fact, my son Cademan likes to do this as well. He's five years old, and uh, recently he, we've been working with him about how much we let him play video games. And he goes over to our friend's house. Every week we do a date night flip-flop, and they go over there, and they have Mario Kart, and he loves to play Mario Kart. And we limit the amount of Mario Kart that he can play because we don't want his brain to turn to mush. But he gets to play when he goes over there. And this night, somehow he's trying to convince us as we're on the way to our friend's house that he needs to play more Mario Kart. So he decides he's going to give us a false sense of security about his future. And he says to us, he says, Mom and Dad, I just want to make sure you guys know one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to drive. And you need to know that when I drive, I want to be a really good driver. So I think if I'm going to be a good driver, you should probably let me play a little bit more Mario Kart. A false sense of security. I'm not about giving you a false sense of security. I want to give you a foundation to stand on that is secure. And so today we're going to look at a story that happens after the resurrection of Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. And I'm going to preach this like I haven't preached it once today. I'm going to give you my best shot and preach from the bottom of my heart because I'm more convinced of this message and the significance of it than I was at 8.30 a.m. this morning. So today, 
as we look at this question of how do I wrestle through these doubts and where is God when I have doubt, we're going to look at a guy who's known as Doubting Thomas. The story picks up in John chapter 20, verse 24, and the scripture says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now I want you to think about something for a second. This, this guy named Thomas shows up two times in the book of John. First time he shows up, just humor me. I mean, this really does happen. He shows up earlier in John chapter 11. One of the followers of Christ named Lazarus has died. They're trying to figure out what to do. And, and this guy named Thomas has this grand, grand idea that all of the disciples should go find Lazarus and they should all die together with Lazarus. Are you really that dumb, Thomas? Come on, go commit suicide and we're all going to go into a tomb. So he shows up one time, that's what he says. He shows up another time in John chapter 20, verse 20 through 24 through 31, and the resurrection has happened and Thomas has missed out on it. I mean, think about that with me for a second. I mean, it's one thing to miss the game-winning goal at your son or daughter's soccer game. It's one thing to, to miss the, the birth of a child. It's, it's one thing to like show up 20 minutes late to a date, singles, and she's gone, and she was your destiny, and now you got to start back over at square one on eHarmony.com, and here we go again. Like, it's one thing to miss something like that, but the freaking resurrection? Jesus comes back to life, and Thomas is out picking his nose, and he misses out on one of the greatest stories in all of history. The scripture says, the disciples come to Thomas, and it says, Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. You missed out. Jesus is alive, and you weren't there when he came back from death to life. And then the scripture says this, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I can put my hand into his side, I will not believe I think it's interesting how personal it gets for Thomas here. And go back and look at the personal pronoun that is all throughout these two verses. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I can put my finger where the nails were, unless I can put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He says, unless I can get some kind of resolution to this doubt of mine, I cannot continue on. I cannot move forward unless I get some kind of solution until I can see the resurrected Christ. And the same thing that Thomas is saying in this passage is the same reality that many of us struggle with. We all have that unless question. Unless I can get some answers to this question that I've been struggling with. Unless I can understand why my parents got a divorce. Unless I can understand why my marriage fell apart. Unless I can know why I was working so hard, diligently and faithfully, and I lost my job, and now I'm without money, and I can't even put food on the table. Unless I can get solution to this situation, I cannot move forward. What is your unless doubt for God that you're wrestling with? What is that question that burns deep inside of you at the pit of your stomach or deep down in your heart that maybe you felt guilty for and you never felt like you could ask or you never felt like you could bring it up? Every one of us, to some degree or another, has doubts and there's that unless question that we wrestle with. But I think that there are a lot of differing responses to that unless question. In fact, I want to share with you what I think are three typical responses to the unless question that we struggle with. The first response is this. You can stuff it. You can stuff your doubt 
and act like it does not exist. I have friends of mine who've said to me before, they grew up in a church or they went to a school, a Christian school, they had a pastor, a priest, a teacher. They came to that pastor, priest, or teacher with a doubt, and the first thing that that person said to them was, just stuff it. Just have a little bit more faith. Sweep it under the rug. Just get rid of it. If you had a little bit more faith, you wouldn't be asking these questions. And for some of us, there are these doubts that we've been stuffing away for years, sweeping it under the rug, and now there's this big mound in the rug of our lives that every time we go to move forward, we trip and we fall over it. And this stuffing it is not a proper response to our doubt. The second, which I think is just as bad, is sitting on it. You can sit on it. First you can stuff it, then the next response is you can sit on it. I had a guy sitting in my office a couple of weeks ago, looking across from me on the couch, and he said to me, he said, I, I want to tell you, I've been struggling with this question about God for 15 years now. And every time I go to move forward, every time I, I try to take a leap of faith, every time I try to pursue God, that question's right there with me, and I cannot move forward. It, it's like this big fat wallet of mine, and it's not fat because of cash. Let me clarify. I've got Panera cards, Starbucks cards, Pete's cards. I emptied my wallet a couple weeks ago, and there were like five of those little Visa cards that people give you as gift cards, and they each had like 55 cents on them. And then bees started flying out of my wallet. It was, was kind of crazy. But that wallet, you know, you put it in your pocket, you sit down on it, and you can feel it. And some of you, you have a doubt that you're sitting on, and you can feel it, but you're doing nothing with it. You're not moving forward. You're not trying to get resolution. But that doubt is there. And every time you go to take a step of faith, that doubt, you can feel it in your back pocket. But the third response, which I believe is the biblical, healthy, appropriate response, is whenever we have doubt, is to say it. It's to express it. It's to say, I need some kind of resolution to this answer, God. I need some kind of resolution to this struggle. Maybe the struggle for you is the loss of a child. Maybe the struggle for you is a marriage that fell apart. Maybe the struggle for you is something pertaining to creation or could God speak this whole thing into existence? But to bring that question back to God to say, God, I need some kind of resolution to this. I remember being in college and a very close friend of mine who was one of my college roommates, we were getting married about the same time and Got married a few, few months in front of me and several of our other friends. And just about six weeks before I'm to get married, and one week before uh, another family on our staff is about to get married, my friend's wife is on her way to work, and that morning on her way to work, she gets in a horrible car accident, and three days later, she's died, and she's now around the throne of God. And here's my friend that I love, that I've spent so much time with, that I deeply care about, and he is a widower at 23 years old or 22 years old. And I remember just wrestling through this question. God, I need some kind of foundation to stand on in this. I need some kind of resolution that can help me move forward. What is your unless question for God? And are you stuffing it? Are you sitting on it? Or are you actually expressing it and saying it to God just like Thomas does? Unless I can get resolution. Unless I can stick my finger in the holes in his hands unless I can touch his side, I can't move forward. And watch what happens as Thomas expresses his doubt. The scripture says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again with them. And I think it's kind of ironic to think about this story. Here's this guy, Thomas, who's expressed his doubt before God. And for many of us, a week seems like such a short period of time. 
I mean, it's one football game to the next. It goes by so quickly. But here Thomas is a week in his doubt, and he's asked this question to God, and it just seems like there's this long period of silence. Maybe you felt like that before. There's a question that you struggled with. There was something you were looking for a solution to, and it just seemed like months went on and years went on and decades went on. Maybe it's been 5, 10, 15, 20 years that you've wrestled with this one doubt, and you're still hoping to get some kind of foundation to stand upon. You're not alone. Same struggle that you and I walk through. Here's Thomas in his doubt, and the scripture says, a week later, here he is at the same place of his doubt. In verse number 27, it says, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them in the middle of Thomas's doubt. I think Jesus had many different opportunities between point A and point B when he shows back up to Thomas. He could have visited Thomas one morning when he was sitting around the breakfast table. He could have visited Thomas when he was at the synagogue. He could have visited Thomas when he went to work one morning. But Jesus shows up at the exact same place of Thomas's doubt a week earlier. And there's something so significant that we need to clue in on this passage, that Jesus is wanting to come back to that same place of our doubt, that he's wanting to engage us at our moment of unless. He's wanting to step into the pain. He's wanting to step into the doubt and the confusion in the same way that in this passage he comes back to Thomas with his unless question, and there he is right in front of Jesus, and I wonder what Jesus is going to say to him. I wonder how Jesus is going to interact with Thomas in this instance. And, you know, part of the irony of this story is that the passage says that the door had been locked so that no one could get in. In fact, the Israelites, they, they were under persecution. The disciples were under persecution so much that they thought they could potentially lose their, lose their lives for the sake of this message, they're locking the door, trying to keep the Jewish people out, trying to keep the Roman soldiers out. And Jesus just walks in past the door that is locked, and he stands in front of Thomas at the moment of his greatest doubt at the place where he questions Jesus one week earlier. And the same way that he walks through the door with Thomas is the same way that he is able to walk past the barriers that we place in front of him. Maybe you came here tonight and you weren't expecting to have a divine encounter with God. Maybe you came here, I know it was more true earlier in the day, hoping that your kids could see the Easter bunny and jump on a little blow-up toy outside and get some eggs and get some free food and could have a nice Easter and you could go on. But what God was wanting to do was stage a divine encounter between you and Him in this moment where you would come face-to-face with the reality of His love for you, and his desire for relationship with you to enter into your doubt, to give you a footing that you can stand on, that gives you a hope, a purpose, a meaning for your life from this point forward. And here is Jesus with Thomas. What's he going to say to him? What's he going to say? The first thing Jesus says to Thomas is the same thing he wants to say to us tonight. He says, peace be with you. The same message of peace that Jesus brought to the disciples is the same message of peace he wants to bring tonight. In fact, the scripture says in John chapter 3 in the New Testament, Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world so that the world might be saved 
through me. He didn't come proclaiming a message of condemnation. He came proclaiming a message of hope, a message of peace, so that every man and woman, boy and girl, young and old, rich and poor, every nation, tribe, and tongue could have a relationship with the living God. His message was a message of peace, mending the hearts of humanity back to God, restoring what was broken, giving joy, hope, and peace to those who live our lives in sorrow and in doubt. The message that Jesus was bringing to Thomas in this moment is the same thing he wants to say to us tonight. It's peace be with you. And then watch what Jesus says to Thomas next. Is he going to say to him, Thomas, you suck. Get your crap together. Just have faith and believe. Why are you struggling so much? First you want to die with Lazarus. Now you're going to doubt the resurrection of Christ. What is your problem, Thomas? Just get it together. And look at what Jesus says. In verse number 27, Jesus walks right up to Thomas. And I try to visualize the expression in Jesus' face. And I think that there was this expression of great mercy and compassion, maybe even a smile on Jesus' face saying to Thomas, Thomas, give me your hand right here. I want you to see this. Do you see my side? Thomas, this is my side that was pierced for you. This is the exact same place that the Roman soldier stuck his spear into eight, nine, ten days ago. This is the same place that I was brutally murdered, the place I was beaten so that you could know me. This is the body that was bruised for you. This is the back that was beaten so that all of humanity can be restored back to me. Thomas, you can't do it with religion. You can't do it with your, your rules and your traditions. Thomas, this is what I did for you. This is what I had to take so that you could know me, so that you could have relationship with me. And then what does Jesus do? The scripture says that Jesus takes his hands and he takes the finger of Thomas and he sticks it right into the hole where the nails had been pounded just a few days earlier. He says, Thomas, stick your finger in the hole. This is the body that was broken for you. This is the life that was given for humanity. This was the body that conquered the grave. I am now... No ordinary teacher. I'm not just a healer. I'm the king of all kings. I'm the Lord of all lords. I'm the Messiah that the nation of Israel has been waiting on for centuries and decades. I am the one who's here to restore hope, to give purpose, to give meaning, to give life, to give joy, to give peace. Thomas, stick your finger in the hole and your hand in my side. This is hope for you, Thomas. And Jesus, with one sweeping statement, comes back to all the doubt that all of humanity could ever struggle with and walk through. In fact, think about it with me for a second. With this one moment, with this one action, Jesus deals with all of the greatness doubts that you and I could ever have. I mean, if he could conquer the grave, if he could come back victoriously after being placed into a grave three days before could he not do anything? Is there anything too, too big for this God if he can conquer the grave? Hell could not hold him down. Chains could not hold him back. He proved himself victorious over the grave and deals with all the greatness, problems, and doubts that you and I could ever struggle with. And in the same moment, addresses the issue of his goodness. Look at my side that was crucified 
for you, my body that was broken for you, a good God who came so that humanity could be brought back into relationship with him, with God so that we could know him and have relationship with him. And he says to us today, not with a pat answer, kind of make us feel better about ourselves. He says to us with mercy and compassion, Look at my arms that were stretched out wide. Look at my side that was crucified for you. This body that was broken can give hope and meaning and purpose. And I can step into the brokenness that you're struggling with. I can step into your doubt. If he's God, he's big enough to handle our questions. He's been God for eternity in the past. And he'll be God for eternity into the future. And he can handle your doubt today if you'll bring it to him. If you'll lay it before him. If you'll let him today walk into and hold his hands out and let you see his side. And if you'll put your finger there today, he can restore hope for you. He can mend what's been broken and bring you back into the relationship with your creator that you were made to have. And today, I know that there are these deep pains and struggles that we have. And I, I believe that some of those struggles get mended and we understand them in the course of time. I think about my parents' divorce. I remember many times in middle school and high school, uh, sitting outside after football practice and all the other kids, their moms would come pick them up, and my mom lived on the other side of the country. And I remember times thinking, God, why me? All, all these other friends of mine have a mom that care for them. My dad is, is, is single, and I'm, uh, I'm being raised by a father, and I hardly ever get to see my mom. What, what is this, God? Why are you letting me walk through this? And I remember years later sitting down with families that had walked through divorce or children whose parents were marriage were being torn apart and being able to look them in the eyes and say, I know what you're going through. And in the course of time, that injustice was made right and I understood with hope. But there are other struggles that in the course of time, they seem to be unresolved. But today, the message of the cross and the message of an empty grave and the message of a risen Christ is one that gives hope and purpose and meaning, not just for this life, but one that gives hope, purpose, and meaning for all of eternity. That he has conquered the grave and he has risen. He's seated as the King of kings and Lord of all lords. And the scripture says that for eternity he will reign and we can be with him in relationship with him. And the trial and circumstance that we'll walk through, that we're walking through today, that in the end, all injustices will be made right. And a God who's loving, compassionate, mercy, righteous, and holy will be reigning forever and ever and ever and ever. And today, he wants to give you that kind of foundation that you can stand on. And I love from this story what we see in Thomas. Scripture says that Thomas says back to him, my Lord and my God. In a moment, he realizes that this is God in human flesh, and he says, you're my master. And what happens to Thomas from this point forward as he goes from this doubting Thomas all the way to becoming one who would bear the message of Christ to the ends of the known world, and a large chunk of India would be transformed with the mercy and compassion of Christ and the message of the resurrected Savior because of Thomas, because he saw the hands and he stuck his finger in the side, and now he believed, and he would go out from being this coward who doubted all the way to this courageous man of God who would extend God's love to the ends of the known world. God can step into your doubt, friend. He can give you strength. He can give you a foundation. And I want to say to you, you're not alone in your question tonight. You're not alone in your struggle tonight. He's here. He wants you to bring your unless question to him. 
You're not alone. Let's pray. Thank you for the way that you have conquered the grave. Changes everything for us. Believe with all my heart, you're alive. Jesus, I I pray that every person here tonight would have to come face to face with this reality that we wouldn't just ignore it, but that we would really wrestle through. Do we believe this message? Do we believe that you've conquered the grave? Every person, man and woman, young and old, God, that tonight we would deal with this reality. Thank you for the way that you step into our doubts, that you step into our brokenness. Thank you for the fact that you are both merciful and just. That with your arms outstretched wide, you paid the payment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But at the same time, you you offered this mercy and compassion to us in a way that restores us back to, to your Father. And I pray that tonight, in these next moments, as we, we watch this drama and as we listen to the words of this song, that it would remind us that you're here with us, that you want to give resolution and strength to us in the midst of our doubts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.